3 John. Of course, we're still in 1 John. And the theme of all these books is follow me. This is um, what it looks like for believers to follow Jesus. We talk about having a relationship with Jesus. We talk about uh, religion. We talk about um, all kinds of things in the Christian world. But what is it actually, when we get down to the nuts and bolts of it, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? And so, John, um, again, for those of you who have been with us, you know he is refuting heresy. People who came in, false teachers, who came into the Ephesian uh, church, and he was, and they were telling them um, that you cannot have a, a true relationship with God without this mystic knowledge of him. And they were being reassured by John in the first uh, letter here that you can, and, and you've been taught well, and this is what it means to actually follow him. Don't forget these things. And so, uh, to catch you guys up, on the last few weeks, we talked about at the beginning of uh, chapter 2 what it meant to obey the message. That to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to actually obey. It's not just a lip service, you've got to obey Jesus. And then we talked about the command of love in verses 7 through 11. And really, we talked about what uh, we are to love. We're to love God and we're to love each other. That's what believers do. And then last week, we talked about uh, assurance and knowing where we stand with God. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, how believers, how people who follow Jesus have a shift in what they love, that we don't love the things of the world anymore. Um, we love God. Now, this is a huge uh, topic, and it's kind of complicated, um, and I'm going to do my best to, as we walk through three verses tonight, I'm going to do my best to kind of narrow down what we're talking about when we say um, that we're not to love the world. That's the, the thing that John is trying to get across to us. Um, but we really need to start by defining what we're talking about when we say the world. And that is really anything in the physical or spiritual realm that is opposed to the glory of God. So some of these things are pretty unassuming. It could be um, uh, possessions like your car or your home. It could be relationships with even your kids or your spouse or loved ones. Things that might seem pretty unassuming. But if they are stealing glory from God, if they are pointing towards your kingdom, if they're self-gratifying, uh, in and of yourself, and not pointing to God, they are stealing glory from God. They are uh, building a kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of God. Now, this is ruled by who? Do you guys know? It's ruled by the devil, the enemy. The Bible says that he is the prince of the earth. Uh, he's the ruler of this world. So, the word world is actually used in a whole bunch of different ways throughout the Bible. And here's a couple ways that it's used. And these are ways that we're not referring to tonight. So I'm trying to narrow this down for us a little bit. Um, the first is people. So, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He's talking about people, humanity. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. We're not talking about that meaning of world tonight. There's also uh, another one. You see the physical earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says that we are to be fruitful and to multiply. This is what we call the cultural mandate that we are as humans, uh, we are mandated to take care of uh, the birds and the animals and the plants and the physical earth. God created the earth to be good. Now even though it's broken and fallen now, 
Um, that's not the world that we're talking about. Of course, we see um, Jesus walked on earth in the world, and that's not the world, the physical earth. We're not talking about that tonight. What we are talking about are a few other meanings of the word world. First one is, you see this all throughout Scripture, the sinful desires of you and I, that we each have a sin nature, and that uh, when we live according to the world, we are giving in to these desires, right? Whether it be a lust or a craving that isn't of God. Also, the second thing is a love of earthly things. So tonight, when we talk about the world, we're talking about, let's not be materialistic. Let's not put our hope and our dreams in a better job or um, the, the, the best uh, house that we can buy or you fill in the blank. The things in this earth are not going to ultimately bring us the joy and life that we have in Christ. And the third one, and if I had to sum up, if I just had to say, okay, the last couple minutes, have they been confusing? Just erase it. Here, here, here's the one to remember. When we talk about the world, we're talking about the attitudes, the, the standards, the practices of a godless culture that are in direct opposition to a holy God. You don't have to look too far in our culture to see that. Um, it's all over the place, whether it's laws being changed, uh, all kinds of marches happening in Washington. You just look um, down the line. People are doing things that in their minds they think are righteous, but they're opposed to the ways of God. In many ways, they are opposed uh, to the ways of God. Now, this, for the believer, is really a heart check. Because some of us, right off the bat, we see that to love the world um, is very overt, like materialism. If you're just like, man, I just want to accumulate stuff. That's what my life is about. I want the biggest, best, baddest stuff. I want all kinds of toys and, and everything. I, that's pretty overt, right? But then there's other ways uh, of loving the world that are not uh, so over. They're, they're subtle, like simply being lazy, gratifying a desire for not just rest, but like too much rest, um, gluttony. So you're not just eating some food, but eating a lot of food, abusing things, or even wasted opportunities to expand God's kingdom because we want to do other things. These are subtle things that I think most of us struggle with all the time. And so you've got to challenge your own heart tonight. Before we jump in to the three verses, I, I just want to um, kind of set the stage for us tonight when it comes to uh, these desires and these worldly things, because I think the church in America uh, struggles <laughs> greatly with it. Let me just read to you uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, you can find this in a couple of the, the Gospels, but in Luke chapter 8, you don't have to flip there, but let me just read it for you and, and refresh you if you're familiar with it. In verse 4, Jesus said, And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. That's a key one right there in verse 7. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, 
To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, they received it with joy. But these had no root. They believed for a while, and in time of testing, they fell away. And as for what fell among the thorns, so this is the verse that I want to focus on, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. As we walk through this tonight, I want you to challenge your own heart. Are you, verse 14, are you the one who received the word of God, but you're finding that as you walk along it, you are choked out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life, and therefore you're not maturing? I've said it before and I'll say it again. The quickest way for us to fill up these seats would be uh, what a lot of folks are doing all over the world and in this country. Taking the power of God from this Bible, this verse, and connecting it to your own wealth and health. And how can your kingdom expand? And here's a few principles to make you uh, enjoy and have a better life and to find happiness and all these great things. People want to hear that. Because they want the world to be connected to their relationship with God. And God's saying, you can't have that. You can't have it. So, we're going to stop three times after, uh, each each time after a verse. And we're going to see what God's word has to teach us tonight. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't love him. Just saying, you can't have the love of God in you and a love for the world. Like, it tear you up. First thing we see is that you've got to make a choice. You can't love both. You can't love the world and love God. You can't love the world and love God. Now, it's interesting because I underlined the word love twice here. The word love here actually uh, means two different things. This one, when it's talking about the world, John says, do not love. It means to take a fancy to, um, to, to hold in high regard. So John's saying, don't get too pumped up about the things that are going on around you. Don't, don't get enamored with the things of this world. Don't overvalue the importance of material possessions or other things on earth. Now this love is different because the love that the Father has is an unconditional love. It's that agape love. And he's saying, you can't be chasing after this and still be experiencing that. Of course, the word world, uh, in the Greek, it's cosmos. And it's not just talking about the stars and space and the universe, but it's talking about the standards and practices of a secular 
world. Now, here's the thing as we talk about love. When most of us think about love, we don't necessarily think about it from a spiritual standpoint or um, or sometimes even from a physical standpoint, but an emotional standpoint, right? Like feelings of love. We feel love. Love as an emotion in general, I think is pretty neutral. Is it not? Like if, if I said, uh, you know what? I love my wife. Like I have feelings of love for my spouse. But then you bought me a brand new car, and after two weeks of driving it, you came to me and said, hey, how are you liking that car? And I told you, I love my new car. The feelings associated with loving a thing compared to a person, compared to you fill in the blank, the feelings would be a lot alike. You know, you know the feelings of love. And, and so the key is not the feelings that we have associated with love, but the direction that we point that love in. The, the behavior associated with those, a feeling, those feelings. And so what John's saying is that I don't want you, if you have feelings, right? Um, and we'll talk about that part in a second because your desires, your feelings can change. But I don't want you to put your love in a direction that's not of God. Like, I don't want you to invest in things and to love them if they're not of God. I don't want you to act on those feelings if it's not of God. In other words, if I came to you and told you, hey, I think you should buy this house. It's a new house. It's going to be awesome. I think you can afford it. And you start to fall in love with the idea. And immediately you're like, oh, I love the idea of a new house. You don't have to research it. You don't have to get pre-approved for a loan. And you don't have to buy it. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so what John's saying, I don't want you to let your love go in a direction that's not of God. You could say, well, listen, it's 2017, man. We, we got plenty of love to go around why can't I love God, have a relationship with him, go to church, do all that good stuff, and still love things? Like, is it really that harmful? Listen, you don't, you, we got to understand, like, this is life and death we're talking about. This isn't, this isn't like, I'm going to split my uh, time between, uh, should I eat at, at Burger King or McDonald's? This isn't, I'm hungry for a sandwich. Should I, should I go to Jimmy John's? I went to Subway last time. I don't know. I just... In the end, don't care. Don't matter what you choose. It ain't that big of a deal. This is, this is a whole nother level of seriousness. This is, this is God saying, like, you've got to make a choice because this is getting married and then deciding, are you going to have an affair? Because, like, when you place your faith in Jesus, the Bible says it's like a marriage. He's the, he's the groom. You're the bride of Christ, church. And so <laughs> this isn't just, well, you know, I'm going to spend some time with God, investing in my relationship with him, but then I'm going to kind of seek after some stuff, some pleasures on earth. I know that, I don't know he necessarily wants me to have them, but they've just kind of been things that I've always had. I've always dreamed of, you know, starting my own business. I've always, I've always wanted to retire and have this house out in the woods, and it's just amazing. Just, just things that we've always wanted. 
We say, it's not that big of a deal. I think I can have both. I think I can juggle both. God's saying, you can't do that. You can't get married and juggle a relationship on the side. That's what it is. Even Jesus said, you can't love God and money. You'll either love one and hate the other, hate one and love the other. But you can't, you see, love is connected to your heart. And so you can't, you can't love God and love other stuff because your heart would be divided and then your home is divided and a house that's divided cannot stand. So God's saying you've got to make a choice. That's why some of us are in turmoil tonight. It's because we don't want to make this choice. We're carrying on a relationship, an affair with the world. And we're wondering, why are we stunted in our growth? Why are we lacking peace and joy and life in Christ? And it's because we want it in one hand, but we want the world in the other. And he's saying, that's why you're all tore up inside. Because it just don't work that way. Let me... um, let me get a little more practical with you. Let me let me just uh, let me just throw down a, a few examples. You don't have to agree with me on these things, but as I was thinking about this, uh, I said, you know what? There's a few things, a few differences in, in how we love God versus love the world. Because some of you might be thinking, well, maybe maybe I do have issues. I don't know. Um, let me let me just give you a, a few differences. The first one in your priorities. If you find yourself in your daily walk in life, what are your priorities? Where are they at? Yours or God's? They say that, um, and this isn't supposed to be some kind of religious guilt trip, but this is just a good example of it. They say statistically, um, even 10, 15 years ago, the average Christian who attended a church uh, would go two to three times a month, right, on a Sunday to a worship service. Now, it's one to two times a month. Like we have people, even in our own congregation, who are passionate about Crosspoint. Like they are champions of Crosspoint. They invite their friends to Crosspoint, and yet at best, they would maybe go once a month. And I, I scratch my head. I think, how can you be so passionate about it? But like it is low on the priority list for you to even want to be part of a worship service. Well, I just, you know, I like to go out of town, I like to do these other things, and oh, I got gymnastics sometimes on Sundays, and is it okay? Like, those are priorities. What you're saying is, like, I prioritize worldly things over God. Where's your priorities? Fulfillment. So we all want joy. We all want peace. We all want comfort. You want to know if you love the world or you love God? Is your fulfillment conditional or unconditional? Meaning, if it's conditional, you probably love the world. It goes up and down with your circumstances, right? Well, well I, I find my joy primarily in my relationships. So if your relationships are bad, then what? You lack joy. Um, I, I find my peace in, you know, whether the political stuff in America is going well. And it's just been turmoil lately and I'm so sick. I'm, I don't know what to do about it. Because my God, his promise of peace and joy in life, like it hasn't changed. It's not conditional. It's unconditional. If you find that your fulfillment of those things is conditional, you probably got a love for the world that's unhealthy, which brings us to number three. Even the way you view health, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional health, 
purpose versus preservation. You see, purpose is when you love God and you realize the healthiest thing for you physically, emotionally, spiritually, is when you are carrying out the purpose to make disciples, to serve his kingdom, to expand his kingdom no matter what. Even if he says, you go to the Middle East and you share the gospel, it might mean you lose your life physically. The world would see that and say, that's not very healthy. But you're not worried about self-preservation because you know where you're going in heaven. you got a purpose. You love God more than you love anything else. Self-preservation says, I'm going to freak out about the cancer. Self-preservation says, i got to freak out if I am not perfectly healthy in all ways because the goal of the world is just to make your life last a little bit longer. i got to get Another year or two added on to my life. And I'm not saying that those who love God just want to die. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But I am saying we view health completely differently. Because what good is it if you live 10 extra years, but you don't live it for God's kingdom? And last but not least, investments. Temporal versus eternal. If you love the world, you're finding that you're investing your time, your money, your energy into things that are not going to last. If you find the most important investments you have right now are not in relationships of disciple making or uh, your relationship with God, but it's financially tied up in things. You say, "That's, that's really my most important investment. Or even relationships that aren't healthy, they're not going to last then you might find yourself loving, God, loving the world more than God. Things that are eternal, things that matter. When you find yourself, picture yourself showing up to heaven and, and what comes with you. Like disciples made, people who are saved by the grace of God. Those are the eternal things that matter. Are you investing in those things on earth? I am... Um, Maybe I shouldn't share this story. You might look at me funny after this. I know this is going to be weird, but back in the day, I used to have an eyebrow ring. Like, not just like a little, like tiny little bar, like a big old loop. And like, not just like super thin stuff, like it was thick. I didn't know when I went to get it pierced, like that there were thicknesses in size. And so when they asked me what size I wanted, um, and they listed off the the lowest gauge, I thought that must meant the the wimpiest, but it wasn't. It was like the thickest. And so I got an eyebrow ring. In my little high school, you could be a lot of different things. Um, like you didn't just have to be the jock, the sports person, or the nerd, or um, the farmer. Like you could, you could be in that tiny little town a lot of different things. So I had my eyebrow ring because I was going through my Metallica stage where I just had like weird band shirts, and I, I was just kind of rebellious. Um, but then I also loved sports as well. And so my senior year, I decided I wanted to play uh, football. And I showed up the first day of practice, and I had my eyebrow ring in, and the coach told me, dude, you got to take that out. I was like, why? And he said, you can't, obviously, the way you guys are looking at me right now, you can't play football with an eyebrow ring. I, well, I had never taken this thing out for the year or so that I had it. I never took it out. Probably not healthy. But I left it in. So I popped that thing out. Why? Because you can't play football and wear an eyebrow ring unless you want your face ripped off. And I never put that thing back in ever again. I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice. Like you, they're just 
opposed to each other. Eyebrow rings and football, they're just opposed to each other. Loving God and loving the world are opposed to each other. So let me challenge you. Analyze, here, let me challenge you in this. Analyze your strife. Analyze your turmoil. Is it coming because your heart's divided? You're trying to love two things at once that are just flat out opposed to one another? Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Second thing we see is really a question. Where do you walk? Daily, where do you walk? So what you see in verse 15 and 16 and even 17, is that each one of these um, verses is a compare and contrast. It's a statement and it's a consequence if you live opposed to that statement. And so the the first one, obviously in verse 15, uh, was where do you love? Now, verse 16, the compare and the contrast is the origins of your love. There's a love that comes from the world and there's a love that comes from God. So, Got a few important words underlined here. The word desire here actually means cravings, but it has a negative connotation, right? Uh, So the cravings of the flesh, flesh being not just your physical body, but the sinful desires that we have, right? Um, And the desires, this word could also be translated um, from the Greek to lust, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. The word eyes here, the lust of the eyes, it's not just, um, not just referring to the physical eyes, but uh, the ability to see things and, and be enamored with them from an outward perspective without um, analyzing the internal value of them. So you're, you lust after things that you don't even know are worth anything, right? You, you just see it and you want it. And the pride of life. The pride of life means the vain glory of life. It's the arrogance, it's the false hope that the things of this world give you when you place your faith in them, when you give yourself to them. And then, of course, here's the origin part. One of these is from the Father, and one of these is from the world. Now, when we talk about these cravings, uh, these, the, these things that come from our flesh, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, we're talking about sexual impurities or sexual immorality, Um, We're talking about uh, drunkenness. We're talking about gluttony. We're talking about laziness. Uh, You fill in the blank. There's all kinds of things that can fit in there. And some of them, in and of themselves, are not bad. Like if you're married, a healthy physical desire for your spouse can be a healthy thing. Outside of that, it isn't a healthy thing. A, A desire to eat food is a good thing. Taken too far, it's a bad thing. A desire for rest, good thing. Taken too far, bad thing. It's laziness. So, the problem isn't these material possessions, even these desires in and of themselves. It's that you and I, because we're broken human beings, we taint them. We abuse them. We take them too far. And we idolize these things. We idolize them. 
That's not only from our sinful nature, but that's the devil's will for us. That's the trap he wants us to fall in. And as you know, uh, it's a battle. I wish I could tell you that, hey, you're going to get to a place in life where you don't ever have any desires that are bad. (laughs) You're going to get to a place in life where if you just have this super spiritual relationship with Jesus, that, that you don't have to worry about this. As long as we live in a broken, fallen world, you're going to have to face these things. Now, the desires can change along the way. That's what um, regeneration, that's what God giving you a new heart, that's what repentance and a change of mind do for you. They change even your desires. But it's a battle, and every single day for every person in here, you got to decide, am I going to give in? Am I going to walk in the nasty desires of my sinful nature? Or am I going to walk according to who God says I am, my identity in Christ, what he says my purpose is in life? Am I going to walk out of that identity? Because he calls us both a sinner and a saint. You get to choose daily which identity you're going to live from. So, you could say, you know what? I'm a pretty decent Christian. I don't think I give in to these fleshly desires, this lust of the eyes. I don't give in to it much anymore. Okay? I hope that's true. Um, but it's easy to just give lip service to it. Let me, let me give you some litmus test questions. Here's some signs that maybe you... Um, you do give in to those desires more than you think. And these are signs that are going to point to your heart and how you walk on a daily basis. So I'm going to give you just eight or ten questions, rifle them off for you. You can write them down. You can let them just sink into your heart. But um, where do you stand on these things? Let me ask you this. What do you talk about the most? Like if I asked one of your friends or coworkers, hey, tell me about so-and-so. If you have a conversation with them for more than 20 seconds, What are they likely to talk about? If you find that you're talking about your next vacation or um, uh, getting uh, something new or a situation change or something that is worldly, might not be the worst thing in the world, but it's not of God. If you could have long conversations with people and never really have the desire to talk much about your relationship with God, (laughs) you're probably more in love with the world than you are the Lord. What about this one? What overwhelms you? We all get overwhelmed all the time. Being overwhelmed isn't necessarily a bad thing. What overwhelms you? People who love the Lord find themselves overwhelmed by the things of the Lord. Um, Overwhelmed by peace. Like when you sit in the presence of God. One of my favorite books of all time is by Brother Lawrence. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. It's a short little pamphlet. It's only just a series of letters that he wrote. He, He was an old monk uh, hundreds of years ago, and he wrote these. And he, he midway through his life, after having this uh, fairly religious relationship with God, kind of hollow, not feeling like he was worthy of God's grace, finally just blown away in, in the scripture by the fact that God's presence, like he was in God's presence, and he became more aware of it than ever. And he is just incredibly joyed by this reality. And so he writes letters and he can't talk about anything else in the letters, but I was with the Lord today and I was doing dishes in the monastery and the presence of the Lord was all around me. And he's like, just like a kid in a candy shop, just incredibly excited. You can't read it and not be like, oh my, this is amazing. Like he's overwhelmed by the joy of the peace of God. 
But what overwhelms you on a daily basis? Is it frustrations? Is it things that this world does to you? Or is it peace and joy and things that come from God? Because you know, and I know, there's people in this room, maybe every single one of us, that's got some habitual struggle, some fleshly desires that we've been trying to get rid of for years. Here's the thing. Desires feed desires. If you find yourself with a desire for sin in a specific way, and you start walking into that, what's the old saying about sin? It always takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you're willing to pay, right? Then then what you find is that desire comes back tenfold next time. And you're like, well, if I just give in to it one time, then it won't be that bad, and I won't have that desire. I'll, 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 I'll kind of quench that craving for a second, and then I'll be good. But then you find it comes back stronger than ever, and before you know it, you're in a stronghold. What overwhelms you? How about this one? What do you dream about? What do you dream about? You dream about furthering your own kingdom, things of this world? Or do you dream about God's kingdom expanding, him using you in incredible ways, him starting revival throughout this city? Do you, have, do you dream about that? Do you dream about what it looks like for God to just start revival throughout this nation? Or is that dream number like 52 and then 1 through 51? Or ah, I dream about a good retirement. I dream about healthy kids. I dream about a time where I can just relax. I can tell you guys enjoy this kind of stuff. This is fun, isn't it? This is fun. What motivates you? What motivates you? Is it the things of God? Is it the fact when you wake up this morning, you're pumped because you think you can make an impact for his kingdom? That you can spend one more day in the presence of God? Or, or is it just getting through the day? What motivates you? What excites you? Do you get more excited when you hear about uh, someone in the church's spiritual revelation? When they say, God's doing something, and you're like, oh, really? Cool. And then you hear them talk about, yeah, like, it's amazing. I, I gave uh, a tithe to God because I read it and that, like, we should give 10%. And I, I did it, and, like, God just has given me peace and joy, and I've never, I've never had that. And it's just so weird. And you're like, cool. And then you go to work, and you find out in an email you're getting a pay raise. You're like, booyah! What excites you? A pay raise? Or someone's spiritual revelation of God's provision. What depresses you? How do you spend your time? You could say, well, I got a job to work. I got things to do. I can't just spend my time walking around like, you know, Jesus, healing people, taking care of the poor. Like, I can't do I, 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 I got I to work a job. Listen, you can do earthly things with spiritual and heavenly intentions. So you can go work a job and just work a job, or you can work that same job with intentions to be used by God in a powerful way. Two different worlds, two different loves, two different motivations. Do you find yourself saying, I can't live without dot, dot, dot? Where do you go to when you want to rest? These are all heart questions. We could go on and on and on. But here's the thing. When you focus on God, he changes the desires of your heart. When you spend time with the Lord, he will change the desires of your heart. I am... Um, 
I was uh, convicted several months ago that I, I needed to exercise more. And so I started on a fairly regular exercise routine. And my main issue that I thought health-wise, physical health-wise, was right before bed. I don't know why. But, like, I just, I just want a little snack. And this is, like, old man stuff, right? I didn't think I would ever face this at 32 where this would, like, be an issue. But I'm pretty sure that's where I gained a good chunk of my weight. And one little snack would turn into me standing at the fridge eating this, and be like, well, I'm not full yet. Like, it's it literally a whole other meal that I'm expecting to eat, I guess. I don't, I don't even, like, bother putting on a plate or anything. And, and I thought, i got to quit that. So I started working out. And, and if I had a night off after we put Silas to sleep, I would go to the gym at, like, 8 o'clock. And um, I was actually sitting down having lunch this week with someone talking about exercise, and, and they asked the question, um, doesn't that make you more hungry, though? Right? I mean, theoretically, if you burn energy, you'd think that exercise would actually make you more hungry. So if you've got problems eating late at night and you're exercising at night, you're probably going to come home and like eat a bunch, right? What do you think the truth is? The truth is my appetite's actually curb. Like, I don't want to eat after I exercise. I find something physically in my body is saying, dude, you're living a different life now. <laughs> You're not just going to stand in front of the fridge. Like I, the desire to do that has gone away. Now, has the habit gone away? Well, that's all another thing. But the desire to do that, and that's what happens when you spend time with the presence of God. You think, I don't know how in the world like, that my desires for some of these earthly things and for these impurities in my life, I don't know how these raging desires are going to go away. Well, when you spend time with the Lord, it's not just that you're dividing your time up. It's that you're with someone who can change your heart, and he changes your desires. You find yourself saying, I don't have to be convinced not to live my old sinful life anymore. I don't have to be convinced to go chase the American dream that I don't need to anymore. I don't really want to anymore. Is anyone in that place where you don't want to? You don't want to. The only one who's going to make you that way is the Lord. And tasting something better. So let me challenge you in this. And we'll wrap up the third point a little quicker, but When you have thoughts from those fleshly desires, Scripture says, take captive your thoughts. Make them obedient to Christ. If you say, you know what? Man, I wouldn't mind a nicer house. You know what? I wouldn't mind a little better relationship here. Not that all those things are always bad. But you find, you know, like, oh, this isn't taking me down a good path. You take that captive and you test it against what you know God's will is for you. You say, man, this ain't going to lead to anything good. You don't just replace it with Jesus. You fill your mind with Christ, trusting he's going to change your desires. Last but not least, verse 17. And the world is passing away. So in case you weren't seeing the trajectory, it's very clear now. The world is passing away along with its desires. And who... But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Last thing we see is love. It's going to lead somewhere. It either leads to life or it leads to death. Love has got to have a direction. Love has got to have something to invest in. And it's got a direction. 
So, it says here that the world is passing away. Literally means it's going to cease to exist. It is going to cease to exist along with its desires. So all that's going to be gone. There'll be a day where you won't have these desires. You won't have the pull of this world. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. Those things are gone. They'll be new. And then it says that whoever does the will of God, this literally means to do what God desires. So we're we're talking about desires, but not yours anymore. What God desires. You align your life with what God desires. Abides forever. Literally means to live eternally. To remain eternally with God. Now I'm telling you, chasing, chasing the things of this world, it's like going on an eternal road trip in a cul-de-sac. You just ain't going to get very far. And as you mature in the faith, you realize these things do not bring me life. True life. They don't. And yet, the discipline is to make sure that's not just a one-time lesson learned. That's a practice daily that you make sure you don't start heading down that path again. Because it's tugging at each one of us all the time. You say, you know what? We're getting to the end of this, and I, I'm, I'm still not convinced that some of these things, when we talk about the world, I'm, I'm not convinced that, that they're all that bad. What's true? You can enjoy things without finding your joy in things. Like, there, there's things in your life, there's relationships in your life that God created for you to enjoy. But you've got to understand the world isn't just uh, your possessions. And it's not just your earthly, your fleshly desires. Your world has the devil behind it, has spiritual forces of evil behind it, not wanting for you just to enjoy something. It wants to consume you. <laughs> like you might, you might be over here like, hey, this is, this is just, this is nice. Like, like the other day, Silas, we were at my parents' house in Randolph, and, and, and we got this big fat cat. Like, it's a huge cat. I don't know how it got so big, but it did. It's literally, it's got like four quadrants of its body. It's just a big cat. He likes to pet this cat. He sees it, and he gets all playful, and he goes, oh, little cat. He's a oh, little kitty, little kitty. It was laying on one of the steps, and he was in the room um, by it with itself, and, and we were in the other room, and we hear this, rah, rah, rah. And Silas just started screaming. And my mom saw him, and he poked his head. He laid on the ground, poked his head down under that step, got up in the cat's face, scared it. <laughs> Tore up his little face. He had a big old scratch here, had a scratch down here, had a scratch here. We're like, wow, you got scratched all over the place. See, he got so comfortable just petting it, just being up close to it. And he forgot, it's a cat, and it doesn't necessarily like you, and it might want to rip your face off. And sometimes we get so comfortable with the world and the things in the world and the things of the world and the standards and the practices of the world that we forget these things hate God. They hate God. And they don't like you. (laughs) They want to trick you. Let me see if this sounds familiar to you. Adam and Eve. The old devil. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but 
God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Lest you die. She knew that. She knew that that led to death. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes, delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired. We're talking about eyes and desire. You see how this isn't coincidence to what John's talking about here. To make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. The reason why these things of the world that seem even kind of harmless are bad is because they are promising life that only God can give and they lead to death. They are stealing glory that only God deserves. God's saying, I'm not okay with it. Up until now, Silas being three years old, um, he, he's only really had two close relationships. Family, he's got friends, people love him. Um, but like mostly, he's invested in me and Tara. And we have a good relationship. He came from us. We were helping to keep that little guy alive. And we love him. And it's a good, solid relationship. But I've got to be honest. I've kind of been jealous lately because he, he's starting to build friendships. And not just like, you know, little kids have friendships. It's like, hey, just play in the same room together. You don't have to talk. Like, that's usually what friendship looks like when you're three. But for him, he, I can tell, he's starting to enjoy these other relationships. And, and I, my heart kind of, kind of tugs him. I'm like, okay, man, that's part of life. That's part of, you can enjoy that. Don't find your joy, but you can enjoy these other people. And we started to notice a pattern. That when he's with other kids, even in our own house, like, he trashes things. He doesn't have rules. He doesn't mind, like, uh, adults or just, like, he just trashes things. At first, we thought it was the other kids that were, like, influencing him. Like, dude, why is your room so trashed? You guys were just playing in here. How come the, the, the lamp broke because it fell over? Why are the couch cushions, who knows what, like, who did this? And we're thinking, all oh, those little secular kids, this is a good ministry we got to them. I'm glad that our boy can be a light into this dark world. And we quickly realized it was him. It was him. He's the one who trashes the playroom. He's the one who does all these things. Because to him, when he sees something other than mom and dad, these other relationships, it's like a gateway to all things self-gratifying. That he can just do whatever he wants. He does his eyes light up, and yet every single time it leads to a trashed house. And we come back and we say, listen, buddy, we love you. Let's get you back on track. There's consequences, and you can't just do whatever you want. And you may think that that leads to good things, but it doesn't. It leads to this and your little bottom. Like, it it, it ain't going to lead to good things. And how many times does God do that with us? He just gently pulls you aside and says, My love is so powerful for you because I gave you free will. But my free will was not meant to show you that other things are better than me. It's to show you that those things lead to death and in me you find life. So his love draws us and his hand of discipline says, don't go there. You feel turmoil today? It's because you're putting your hope and your love in something that isn't of me. He pulls us back. What's he doing in your life right now? 
that's making you realize he's pulling me back. I've been trying to find what I can only find in him. I've been trying to find it in other stuff. I'm believing the lie that there's life. And you went from enjoying something to trying to find your joy in that something. It's always going to be a heart check. And I'll leave you with the same challenge that that I seem to many nights. And that is, I could simply tell you, hey, don't love the world. But I'm convinced for every one of us that you've got to find something better than the world. You've got to find something better. And that's only going to be Jesus. A life-giving, repentant, obedient relationship with the God of the universe. And when you invest in that, when you seek him, it's going to change everything. So, what does that look like for you this week? Invest in the eternal things. Let's pray.